Fabian would be disappointed if I didn't have a joke. Because I always have one. And tonight, it's about this little boy that was afraid of the dark. And I can identify with him because when I was a little boy, I was afraid of the dark. So, this one dark night, his mother said to him, Son, go out on the back porch and get my broom and bring it in to me, please. He thought about that for a minute. He said, But Mom, it's dark out there. I'm scared. She said to him, Hun, you don't need to be scared. Jesus is out there, and he'll protect you. You don't have to be worried. And he thought that about that for a minute, and he said, Are you sure he's out there? And she said, Yes, son, he's always everywhere that you are, and he will protect you. You don't have to be afraid. So he very haltingly and grudgingly headed to the back door, and he cracked it just a little bit, and he said, Jesus, if you're out there, would you please hand me the broom? (laughs) Can anybody identify with that? I can. Well, I'm going to do a little teaching tonight. As you know, I'm not a preacher, but I can teach a little, so we're going to do a little teaching tonight. And this is a... This is a message that I did a couple of years ago, and it won't come out exactly like it did before, but some of you will remember some of the things that I talked about before. And I have a question. Have you ever looked back on your life and wondered how you got to the place where you are right now? Have you ever? I have. I can't see you all, so you have to to make a noise. Okay, thanks. Well, you know... Sometimes we want to blame everything else for where we are right now. Sometimes we blame family. Maybe we come from a broken home, or maybe our parents didn't raise us exactly the way they should have. And so we have a tendency sometimes to blame family. And sometimes we want to blame our environment. Maybe we grew up in a bad neighborhood or whatever, you know, and we were exposed to things that we shouldn't have been exposed to, so we want to blame that. And sometimes we just say, well, it's just circumstances, you know. These are just things that happened, you know, and I had no way to avoid it. And sometimes we just want to blame everybody but ourselves, don't we? By the way, I don't talk near as loud as Pastor Burt does. Can everybody hear me? I don't need to hold this up for the... Okay. Actually, where we are today, this very moment, is the sum total of all the choices or decisions that we've made in our life. The sum total. Some of them are good and some of them are bad, but we're the sum total of all those choices. And we really don't have anybody to blame but ourselves. And if if we're doing good, we don't have anybody to, to thank but ourselves and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So... There's a, there was a motivational speaker and author by the name of Stephen Covey that wrote some really interesting books on habits of highly successful people. And I want to, make a, I want to tell you a quote that he wrote. He said, Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reach a habit. 
Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. The title of this message tonight is Decisions Determine Destiny. Decisions Determine Destiny. And you know, when you sow a thought, you reap an action, you know, and so on and so on. And so it's a fact that if, if our destiny ended today, it would be the result of all the choices that we've made. Fortunately, we're all still alive. So we have an opportunity to change the destiny if we don't like what it is today. And it's, you know, it's sometimes easy and it's sometimes difficult, but it's always possible. And it depends on us. And we, each one of us, make dozens, if not hundreds, of decisions every day or choices. You know, and everything that we do is a choice. Everything that we say is a choice. Every action and reaction is a choice. And a lot of times, the reaction uh, is more meaningful than the action. But it is a choice. The word says in Deuteronomy 30:19, "I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Choose life. Choose life. You know, the, the word also says you have what you say. And so when you say something, you're choosing either life or death, whether it's good or bad. And there's a, there's a real important point here, and that is that we are free. God gave us a free will, so we are free to choose. But we're not free not to choose. You're not free not to choose. Not choosing is really a choice, isn't it? We've got an election coming up, and some people will choose not to vote. Well, they made a choice. They let somebody else make their choice. You cannot choose not to choose because that's a choice. There's another piece of that that's kind of scary sometimes and that is that choices have consequences so you you're you're free to choose but you're not free to choose the consequences of your choice they happen based on what you choose we make big choices we make little choices and we're going we're gonna to take a look at a particular book in the Bible to examine, uh, you know, there's a story in there that will help us maybe to understand the consequences of some of the choices that we make, whether they're good or bad. There, there are only two books in the Bible that are named for women. They're Esther, who was a, a queen, and Ruth, who was a widow. But they're both love stories in one way or another. And 
for our purposes tonight, we're going to look at Ruth. And uh, Ruth is in the Old Testament, and it's, it's right after Judges. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. And I'm not, I'm not real good yet with all this technology, but I'm going to try to find it in my Bible on my phone. So if you look at with, with me at Ruth chapter 1. I'm going to start reading. I'm going to read a lot of this book. So, um, Pastor Bird always tries to get through at 8 o'clock. I thought, hope I'll be able to do that. <laughs> I have, I think, 24, 25 scripture references. <laughs> you know, that, that may seem like being lazy on my part, but I, I think the Bible has better things to say than I do, so... I try to depend on it. So, chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and, and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, not Oprah. Orpah. And the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malan and Chilion also died. So the women so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Now, we talk about choices. And, and uh, Elimelech was a Hebrew. He was a Jew. And he came from Judah, Bethlehem in Judah. And so uh, when things got bad there, Elimelech made a choice. And his choice that he would leave Bethlehem his, his home country, and go to Moab. And as it happens, Moab was a very evil country. It's named after Moab, who was the son of Obed, who was, well, actually, he was, Obed was his brother. Moab was the, was the son of uh, a relationship between Lot and his oldest daughter. An ancestral relationship that occurred after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Moabites uh, worshipped a god called Shemosh. And it was a very... He was, a, he was a very corrupt God, and they lived in a very corrupt society. So the choice that Elimelech made to move him and his wife and his two sons to an ungodly country led to the, to the death of all the men in that family and left a widow. And <clears throat> the two sons had married, and they married Moabite women. And 
the name of one of them was Ruth. And so uh, uh, Naomi got word from, this was after 10 years and the men had died and all that. She got word that the famine had passed in uh, Judah. So she made the decision to return. And we want to go to, I think it's verse 17. I'm to find where I am here. Uh, 14. Verse 14. Well, actually, let's, let's start with 13. And they're, they're getting ready to go, and, and the, the two daughters-in-law were told Naomi that they would go with her back to, uh, to Judah. So Naomi said to them, Would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her, to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said... Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts you and me. Now, uh, Naomi made a choice. She made a choice to return. And the two daughters-in-law also made choices. The one went back to what she was comfortable with. And the God that she had, the only God really that she had known until she married into this Hebrew family. But Ruth loved her mother-in-law and made a choice to be submitted to her in every way. Now, Pastor Bert's been, he started a series about submission a week or two ago, and he, he made a point about that that I had never quite heard before, but it was, it's really true. You know, in our society today, submission is looked at on as a bad thing. It's just people don't like to submit to anything or anybody. But it's an absolute fact that there is benefit in submitting to the authorities that you choose to submit yourself to. Submission should never, be, uh, should never be compulsory. It should be a choice. And we see this demonstrated in Ruth as she made the choice to follow her mother-in-law back to Judah and to be devoted to her and to, to help her and to worship her God. All choices have consequences. And we're going to see really good consequences in a little bit. Um, <clears throat> she made the decision to cling to her mother-in-law and she made the decision to be obedient to her mother-in-law. So, uh, let's look at uh, chapter 3. And verse... Verse, verse, verse. Five. 
And this is Ruth. And she said to her, All that you say to me, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor. And most of you probably know this story. Uh, well, we'll come to it. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz, who had eaten and drunk, and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Now, before I go on, I want you to understand that this wasn't a lascivious thing that she was doing. She wasn't there trying to seduce him. She was there to offer herself uh, because he was their kinsman. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet, and he said, Who are you? So she answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, and that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now, it is true that I'm a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. You know, and just stop right there for a minute. And uh, you can see that he has made the choice to respect her. She's made the choice to respect him. And it's very, very important that, that we understand that this is a... a well, not exactly a platonic uh, relationship, but it starts out with mutual respect and honor. So, and that's important. So then, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, let's go to. Verse 12. We already started verse 12. Okay, we'll start 12. Now, it's true that I'm a close relative. However, there's a relative closer than I. Stay this night, and in the morning, it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good, let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she rose before one could recognize another. Come on here. Then he said, Do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also, he said, Bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six epaphs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six epaphs of barley he gave me, for he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out, for the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Naomi had a word of knowledge, didn't she? She knew the thought processes that were going on in Boaz's mind. And then let's look at uh, chapter 4. Because Boaz is making some choices here, too. Chapter 4, verse 8. Well, actually, let's back up to 
Let's back up to four. As soon as I get there. This is Elimelech talking to the... He's at the gate where all the elders sit around and that's where they do business. And he says, And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants. And he's talking to the other close relative that he talked about. Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there's no one but you to redeem it, and I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said... Boaz is a smart guy. On the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also buy it from Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance. And the close relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation to Israel. So, Boaz made a number of choices through this whole process, and first he chose to honor her by not exposing her, which he could have very easily done. Secondly, he chose to redeem her uh, if he could. But he honored their, their custom and offered the, the ability to redeem it to this closer relative. And so when a relative refused to redeem her because he was afraid it would mess up his inheritance, uh, then Boaz redeemed her. And, you know, as I, as I said before, all choices have consequences. One of the consequences of Boaz's choice is that he got a lovely, lovely lady for a wife. And i got to say, that's the greatest choice I ever made, other than Jesus. So I can identify with him. <clears throat> but another, another result of his choice was that he was the great-grandfather of King David through Boaz. Boaz was, was uh, Boaz and Ruth's great-grandson was David in the line of Jesse. So, and David, of course, was a direct descendant, uh, uh, precent of, of uh, Jesus. So, Boaz and Ruth, as a result of the choices that they made, they gave birth, by extension, to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Pretty important consequences to some choices that they made. Now, it's important, well, I think it's important anyway, that we understand that the choices that they made were not just, you know, right off the top of their head. They thought about it, and they, they understood the possible consequences both ways. But they had faith that they were making the right choice, and they certainly did. So I tell this story in order to you know, help us to kind of think about our choices. 
Well, I'll, I'll use myself. We need to think about how we make our choices. And, and I made a couple of notes here, and I'll just go through them with you. Sometimes we make them thoughtlessly. And usually those are the kind of choices where we just let something fly off the top of our head. You know, maybe somebody... Uh, Maybe somebody was rude to us when we went to Walmart or Starbucks or whatever, and we snapped back. Well, that was a choice. That was a choice. Thoughtlessly, a thoughtless choice. It just sprung up, so you just spoke it out. Thoughtlessly. And very often we make choices without a goal. Uh, and that's usually something that we're doing in, with more uh, heavier decisions that we're, that we're wanting to make. But when we do that, when we make a choice without a goal, without an intended consequence from that choice, that's like shooting at a, just shooting a gun without a target, without, without aiming really at anything. You're just shooting it. Because if you don't have a goal, you're just shooting it. And that's the way some of our choices are made. Often without signs or guideposts. I got enough time, I think, to tell this little story. Long time ago, when our Sarah and I's boys were young, we were visiting her parents in in Kansas, and uh, her parents owned two farms: one that her dad had inherited from his parents, and the other one that he and and Sarah's mom had bought, and and and. Uh, farmed until he had polio. And the one farm that he had inherited was close to town, was easy to find and all that. The second farm was about eight, nine miles away, and it was down some country roads and a lot of twists and turns and all that kind of stuff. And uh, So one day I took our two boys and we were gonna go out to see the farm that was far off, because it was a bigger farm, you know, and. Uh, interesting trip and all that kind of thing and I'd been out there a couple of times but they never had so this is in rural Kansas where not all the roads are paved and there are no signposts in the country there are none and the roads aren't straight you know they curve and they switch back and one thing or another just not straight well we got out there all right but then I couldn't get us back. And we were, ended up, we were probably 15 miles away. And what should have been about a 20 minute trip to get back ended up being, what, about three hours there? A long, long, long time. And boy, was I in trouble when we got back. And I, I tell that story to, to amplify the, the fact that you have to have signposts. You have to have direction. You have to know where you're going. When you make a choice, when you make a decision, you have to know where you're going. <clears throat> Psalm 119, 105 says that the, the word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And it contains the greatest guidelines that we could ever hope to find. And Pastor Bert said, I don't remember if it was last week or the week before, he said that in the Word there's an answer to every question you have. 
an answer to every question we had. That's pretty great, I think. So, uh, in First or Second Timothy three sixteen says that all Scripture is given for. I don't remember what all it is. I can't quote it, but it's good for instruction for uh, all those things. What is it up there? Uh, that's not it. It's uh, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Boy, that's great to know, isn't it? What a blessing. So we need the guideposts, and the Word is where the best place to find them. There's some others that we can use, but that's, the Word's the best place. Um, we often make, make decisions or choices without seeking the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now, I wish I could say I always have done that. <laughs> my, my darling's laughing at me. She, <laughs> she knows where I'm going. But I haven't. I was one of those guys that made real quick decisions, often without seeking the Holy Spirit, often without guidance, like the decision to go on that road trip. That was just a spur-of-the-moment thing and was a very bad choice, I can tell you. <clears throat> and we, we, we often make our choices with pride, you know. And I've been very guilty of that in my life, you know. I can do it myself. Uh, I was brought up to be able to, you know, that a, a man is supposed to be able to think for himself. A man's supposed to be able to stand on his own two feet, buy gum, you know, I don't need anybody or anything. That was in my family. And so I was like that too. <clears throat> but the scripture says that pride goes before a fall. And it brings you to humility. And often without counsel. And the word says in Proverbs eleven fourteen that there's, there's wisdom with a multitude of counselors. Now, there are probably other, you know, things that I could list here, but that ought to be enough to make us feel like making our decisions, even the small ones, what we might consider small ones, are often very important. Because the choices that we make are cumulative. They're cumulative. If you make a bad choice, very often it leads to another bad choice and another bad choice and another bad choice. But praise God, the opposite is also true. When you make a good choice, it very often leads to another good choice and another good choice and another good choice. And I can tell you from experience that the more good choices you make, the better off you are. And the easier it is then to make good choices. After you've begun to make good choices, then they become much easier to do. When you start trusting the Holy Spirit to lead you in your choices, you'll want to consult Him every time you have to make one. Yep. And that's a fact. 
Okay. So, you may be thinking, well, I am where I am already. You know, I'm you know, not in the best place, not the place I'd like to be or whatever. There's good news. The good news is that God takes you right where you are. And you can start from right where you are, making the right choices in the right way, with the right counsel, with the right direction, seeking the Holy Spirit and trusting the Lord to show you what to do. Because He will if you'll let Him. He absolutely will. So, and remember they're cumulative. So, I'm going to give you five steps to correcting whatever you, you're at now and where you can go from there. Number one, take a hard look at where you are today and ask the Holy Spirit for revelation. Ask the Holy Spirit for revelation. That's half the equation. The other half of the equation is listen. If you do all the talking, then the Holy Spirit can't talk back to you. So listen. Take a hard look where you are and ask the Holy Spirit for revelation and listen, and He will give it to you. You know, sometimes when you seek the Lord for direction, He doesn't answer. When He doesn't answer, there's, there's a very important thing you need to do. You need to wait. You need to wait. You know, God's timing is perfect. Ours isn't. But His is absolutely perfect. Number two. Set your goal. Let's look at Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Can we have that, please? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, and we'll go to forty. Jesus said to him, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind." Thirty-eight. This is the first and great commandment. Thirty-nine. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, that should be our goal in everything that we do, right? And Pastor Bert's also been teaching us... Uh, well, he, he was teaching us on hearing God. And he made a statement that I believe I will never forget. It was, who are you listening to? What voice are you hearing? And there are so, so many voices that come at us time after time after time everywhere we look. Turn on the TV, turn on the radio, you go visit with friends, you know, there are voices everywhere. And we really have to be sensitive to who we're listening to. And I don't mean just, you know, if you say hello to somebody, how's the weather, those kind of things. I'm talking about people that you hang out with and that you listen to. That you don't just hear their voices in passing, but people that you listen to. You have to pay attention. You know, if you listen to the news, you can have the most 
negative attitude that you could ever have because it's all bad. It's all bad. Okay, I'll quit preaching on that. Um, Number three, seek godly counsel and the leadership of God's word. And and that's Proverbs 4, 20 to 22, please. Well, okay. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. 21. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. 22. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. 24. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. So it's, it's important not only to what you listen to, but you know when you speak, you know you're listening. Right? Pastor Bird said a long time ago, you'll believe what you say more than you, anything else that you hear. And the word also says that you have what you say. So it's important that you... Seek godly counsel and the leadership of God's word. Number four, check your friendships. First uh, Corinthians fifteen thirty three says that bad company corrupts good morals, and I can testify that's true because in my younger years I was a lot around a lot of ungodly people, and I became an ungodly young man. Praise God, He saved me. He can save anybody. He can save anybody. All you have to do is make the choice. He gives us the choice, and all you have to do is make that choice, and he'll save you. And he'll be glad to do it. And you'll be glad he did, too. Number five, watch what you say. What you say. You have what you say. And... We're taught in this society to just be flippant with our words, you know. How many times have you heard anybody say, well, that just scared me to death? Or I just can't stand being around that blabbermouth. Not a good thing. Not a good thing. Watch what you say. I can talk about all these things about bad choices and good choices because I've been on both sides of that fence. I've made some really bad choices in my life. And one of them was to not get saved until I was 30, 30, 35 or 36 years old. I can't remember exactly how long ago it was, but a long time. But once I made that choice, then making good choices from that time on became easier and easier and easier and easier. After I married my wife, you know, that got easier and easier, and she helped me get saved because she was saved long before I was and prayed for me diligently. Didn't you, darling? (laughs) So, I'll close with this. This is a truism. Where you will be tomorrow depends on the choices that you make today. Where you are tomorrow depends on the choices you make today. And it doesn't depend on anything else. 
It truly doesn't depend on anything else. No matter what other people may try to do to you, no matter what the economy does, no matter if we're in war or peace, it really doesn't matter because if you really think about it, if you're saved, you're really not of this world. You're just, uh, you're just a vagabond here. Our home is in heaven with Jesus Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit. So whatever happens to us down here is temporary. And if we'll keep that in mind, then nothing can be too bad.